Hello and welcome to Sprott Radio. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Partner at Sprott Asset Management. I'm pleased today to welcome Daisy Jennings Gray, Senior Price Analyst at Benchmark Minerals Intelligence. Daisy, thank you for joining Sprott Radio. Thank you, Ed. Great to be with you today. Well, Daisy, before we dive into today's topic, which is battery metals, please tell our listeners a bit about yourself and the work you and your team do at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. Sure. So Benchmark was founded back in 2014 as a price reporting agency primarily and has become the leading source of supply chain intelligence in the lithium-ion battery industry. So we provide an array of information and knowledge across the supply chain, as well as the leading industry reference prices for battery raw materials and battery components as well. So that's lithium, graphite, nickel, cobalt, cathodes and anodes, as well as battery cells themselves. Alongside kind of that market intelligence, we we run a number of events across the year that bring the whole lithium-ion battery supply chain together. So it's really a unique opportunity that Benchmark offers to have everyone from upstream all the way to downstream. So miners, refiners, cell producers and and automakers in the same room and and discussing the developments in the lithium space. Within Benchmark, I sit within the price and data team. I focus on our, our lithium price reporting. I oversee the lithium price assessment that we put out for subscribers and have been working with the company for about two and a half years now. So I've really had the opportunity to kind of spend my time building a network of contacts that are active in the lithium supply chain and really speaking to those players and and gathering market insights and, and intelligence from those players to provide accurate and independent pricing um, in the in the lithium space and the other battery metal space. All of the price assessments that we put out are IOSCO assured, which essentially means that they meet a certain set of regulations to act as independent and trustworthy reference prices for battery raw materials and, and bring that transparency to what have historically been very, very opaque markets. Well, I'll tell you, focusing on lithium, you've had your hands full, right? There's been, it's been, it's been a <laughs> uh, largely positive but roller coaster ride for sure. With you focusing on the data side of the equation and, and the pricing side of the equation, what have been some of the other milestones you have seen in this space as you continue to get deeper into the battery markets? Yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of hinted that already that it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. And I think the milestones at the forefront of all of that are some of the record high prices that we've seen in the battery metal space over the last couple of years. We saw lithium spot prices hit $80,000 per ton, which is above and beyond anything prices have ever hit before. We've seen an awful lot of volatility uh, across all the battery metals, not only lithium, but nickel as well, and a fair amount of movement in cobalt, just as a result of of how quickly the demand side is developing in this space and, and how quickly the lithium ion battery market is evolving. And I guess with that as well, we've really seen a shift in how the downstream procure their raw materials. So this is really what automakers and cell manufacturers are focusing on now, is ensuring supply of these critical raw materials. And the way that these supply contracts and and the pricing of these contracts has evolved, has changed massively over the last couple of years too. Pricing for for critical raw materials, battery critical raw materials, even just two or three years ago were often a fixed price level for maybe a year or so. And now we see that contracting structure change massively and prices for the, the vast majority of material being delivered to really, really key downstream players 
is tied directly to what's going on in the spot market. And that means that the downstream has been a lot more exposed to kind of supply and demand crunches that we've seen in the battery raw material space. Well, when you talk about downstream players, just for our listeners, give us an example of a couple of the big ones that that our listeners may be familiar with. Yeah. So any key automakers out there who are looking to electrify their fleet. So the Fords, the GMs, the Teslas and the key players in China as well. Um, so there's lesser known automakers in maybe the Western world to so the BYDs, the Xpengs and, and companies like that. And then the cell manufacturers as well, which really historically has been dominated by China. So the likes of CATL and also some of the other markets in Asia. So the Panasonic's and the likes of that as well. So everyone has their hand up basically for supply. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of you mentioned China, speaking of China, there seems to be sort of a scorecard out there that everyone is looking at. Where does the U.S. and Europe stand relative to China on the production side with these gigafactories and so forth. What's the health of, of China, the US and Europe? If you don't mind walking us through each one of those. Sure, absolutely. I think it's you know well known in the battery space now that China is, is very ahead of the game and, and was really the first player in the lithium ion battery space. That means that there's dominance there on the downstream and, and the amount of cell capacity and the amount of cathode and anode production in China as well significantly dominates any other region globally. And that kind of trend also follows upstream. For something like lithium, probably 60 to 65% of lithium is refined in China. Most of it is mined actually outside of China, so South America and Australia. And while some refining does happen in those regions, particularly South America, an awful lot of that kind of unprocessed material goes to China for further refining to, to battery quality material. Lithium certainly isn't the, the worst offender, for want of a better phrase. Something like graphite, for example, 90, maybe even 95 percent of that supply chain is dominated by China. The majority of the mining of, of natural flake graphite happens there. And even its synthetic counterpart, which is produced from kind of oil and coal derivatives, is dominated by China as well. So really, China has a grasp on the whole supply chain from all the way upstream to all the way downstream. Their automakers are, are starting to kind of introduce themselves to the Western world as well. Um, so we've seen BYD really kind of push their position in Europe and kind of start to dominate the market share for automakers in the Western world as well. But that being said, I think Europe and, and particularly the US are becoming more switched on to this trend. In the US, we've seen the Inflation Reduction Act, which has put in place an awful lot of incentives to bring more of this mining and more of the refining and also more of the manufacturing onshore into a domestic supply chain in, in the US and more widely North America and also the US's free trade agreement partners. So there is movement towards insulating Western economies from this dominance in China. But China is is well ahead of the game and there's going to need to be a lot of incentive in place and also a, a lot of leaning on the, the expertise in China to actually get this thing off the ground in the markets that haven't really had to do this before. Well, it seems like all hands need to be on deck. I was reading one of your research pieces recently on LinkedIn, which anyone looking to get more information should certainly follow you because I, I just spent 10 minutes on there and I got a wealth of information. You know, you talk a lot about supply versus demand and what current supply is today in the market in 2023. And you look out all the way to 2035. There seems to be a massive disconnect there. How in the world are we going to sort of close that gap? 
Yeah, um, it's certainly set to be a challenge for lithium in particular, for example. The scale that we're talking on is, is phenomenal. Global demand for lithium in 2020 was maybe around 300,000 tonnes. And in 2030, Benchmark C, global demand for lithium, around 3 million tonnes. Wow. So there's huge, huge growth in terms of demand for these critical raw materials. And it's the case for all of them. It's not just lithium. And really, the, the challenge is, is that supply of these critical raw materials isn't set to come online at the same pace that demand is growing. We kind of have to look at a constrained supply picture when it comes to the downstream now. And really, that constraining factor for the time being is lithium. The industry, the auto industry, the cell industry can only grow at the rate of its slowest driver. And in this case, that's lithium supply. Essentially, a lot of the demand that we see if every automaker wants to achieve its electrification goals won't be met based on current raw material supply modeling. The, the reason for that is that bringing battery raw material supply online is incredibly difficult. Not every raw material is made equally and the type and the quality of battery raw materials that you need to be qualified with cathode manufacturers and to be qualified with cell manufacturers is very particular and it has to be catered to separately for, for each individual consumer. So you have to qualify those volumes over a period of maybe a year, maybe longer. And then you have to ensure that you're going to supply that consistently to them. So while there may be announcements out there for hundreds of thousands of tons due to come online, you first have to consider the, the success of that project in the first place. And we see a lot of delays in the lithium space and, and all of the other critical battery raw materials. And then you have to consider if and when those volumes do come online, can they be delivered to the customer at the quality and the consistency that that cathode or cell manufacturer needs to be able to operate? You see a lot of research papers on the refinement. Um, you see a lot of research papers on the production and these gigafactories and where they're being built here and abroad. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of conversation around pulling up the raw material out of the ground. There hasn't been a lot of conversation around it. There hasn't been a lot of, you know, at least public conversation. Can you give us some insight on the health of the mines, where they're being produced, you know, are governments being supportive? What's happening in the mining world? Because it doesn't seem like you can get a lot of information on that side of the of the equation. I think the challenge, particularly with lithium, uh, and we've heard Elon Musk himself say it, he, he claims that lithium is everywhere. And he's not wrong. It, it is one of the most common elements on the planet. But where lithium is in economically extractable volumes is a much smaller pool. And being able to extract that lithium economically and to the quality that is needed by the battery supply chain is incredibly challenging. Really, South America has always dominated that space on the lithium side. Chile and, and Argentina as well, definitely catching up on that supply front from brine-based sources. Essentially, you evaporate the lithium out of brine water in the ground. And then Australia is, is really the kind of other key source on the flip side, um, which is more traditional hard rock mining, usually of, of a mineral called spodumene. But there are other lithium bearing minerals that are starting to be extracted largely domestically in China and in Africa as well. Lapidolite is one that I think people here discussed a lot. The challenge is finding these kind of economic resources and actually bringing them to market on time. We always see delays to these timelines and what we also see is an increasing push 
for these projects to vertically integrate. So the miners don't want to just mine anymore. They want to try and bring that value downstream and refine into the lithium chemicals. But a lot of these mining companies don't have that experience. A traditional Australian mining company hasn't been a specialty chemical producer in the past. And that is really where the difficulty lies. And the case is the same with with really all of the battery raw materials. Getting it out of the ground is already a challenge and, and an incredibly tough job. And getting the financing in place to develop these projects is really a challenge. And then deciding what you want to do with capturing value. Do you sell that unprocessed feedstock? And do you get it refined ultimately in China? Or do you try and develop that downstream processing capacity domestically, wherever your project is based, but accept that that is an additional step to what is already a a very difficult thing to do? You brought up financing. And I think from an investment standpoint, a lot of our listeners are going to ask, you know, how do I participate in this? Do I own lithium? Do I own cobalt? Do I own the miners? What are some of the key considerations an investor should be thinking about or looking at as they look to make battery metals part of their portfolio? What are some of the risks and what are some of the opportunities you see out there today in the market? Again, in the context of lithium, there's a lot of talk around new lithium extraction technologies and, and direct lithium extraction technologies, as, as often people hear about. We've not really seen any of these technologies proven at a commercial scale, and, and scaling them up beyond lab and beyond pilot scale is, is really challenging. Ultimately, the supply that is most likely to come to market first will be those from from traditional sources. Um, So hard rock and and traditional evaporation ponds often in South America. I guess also as well, realistic timelines. Your average critical raw materials project, not only for lithium, but for nickel, cobalt, graphite, takes a lot longer to come online than is often claimed. Really, you know, you're looking at around a decade for a greenfield project, maybe a little bit less for a brownfield project if you're bringing a mine that was perhaps used for something else or, or has been taken offline. But the gap in the, the timelines for the upstream and the downstream is huge. We call it the, the raw material disconnect at Benchmark, which is this idea that it takes maybe two years to build a new gigafactory, to build a cathode manufacturing plant. But it takes, you know, five, ten, often more years to bring one of these, these critical raw material mines online. So that's really something to to kind of be realistic about as well, I think. Ambitious timelines and considering that qualification period that I mentioned as well. Even if the project comes online and is successful, you're looking at really another one and maybe even two years for that volume to then be qualified with any offtake partners. So even if you do have a, a project that's nearly all fully financed and most of the supply has been put under offtake, and even if those offtakers are, you know, household names, it will take some time for that material to actually end up in their cells and then ultimately in their vehicles. Outside of the electric vehicles, what are you seeing from a demand standpoint in the battery technology? Who else has their hand up and saying, hey, we need this also? What are you, what are you seeing out there? Yeah. So really, energy storage is the key one. And actually, this year, that's where we've probably seen the most short term support for demand. In China, the stationary storage market has really taken off. 
that's where we've heard a lot more positive sentiment coming from in terms of demand. I think there's been a little bit of uncertainty around the Chinese EV market this year. And that is why we have seen some of these critical raw material prices come down across 2023 so far. But the sector that we have seen a, a bit more of a, of a bullish attitude from has been the stationary energy storage sector. And I guess, you know, it's important to note that, that lithium ion batteries are everywhere. You know, we're talking consumer electronics as well, power tools, every laptop, every iPhone has a lithium ion battery in. And actually, we saw a massive surge in demand um, for those devices during the COVID pandemic, for example. You know, everyone wanted the new switch. Everyone was bored and bought a new iPhone. And we really saw that market supported during the pandemic. So, not only are there EVs, but I think there's the everyday um, electronics that everyone forgets about as well. So these batteries are, are really in everything that we use day to day. Even if you don't own a Tesla, you know, you're still using a lithium ion battery when you send an email. That demand isn't going anywhere. That demand has, you know, been very comfortable over the last five, 10 years or so. And it's this EV market and the energy storage market as well that are boosting demand um, massively over the next decade. Well, Daisy, I really appreciate you making the time today to join us on Sprout Radio. This has been incredibly informative. Hopefully we can have you on again and, and check back in, say, six months or a year and see where we are as, as the world continues to evolve. So thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Ed. Really good to have joined today. Well, once again, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm your host, Ed Coyne, and thank you all for listening to Sprout Radio. This podcast is provided for information purposes only from sources believed to be reliable. However, Sprott does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. Any opinions and estimates constitute our judgment as of the date of this material and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This communication is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument. Any opinions and recommendations herein do not take into account individual client circumstances, objectives or needs and are not intended as recommendations of particular securities, financial instruments or strategies. You must make your own independent decisions regarding any securities, financial instruments or strategies mentioned or related to the information herein. This communication may not be redistributed or retransmitted in whole or in part or in any form or manner without the express written consent of Sprott. Any unauthorized use or disclosure is prohibited. Receipt and review of this information constitutes your agreement not to redistribute or retransmit the contents and information contained in this communication without first obtaining express permission from an authorized officer of Sprott.